Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Through the Tech Vine. So be quiet, pay attention, and get inspired. There is one truth that is not told enough. Technology is not magic, but it can be magical. Technology is human. It is part of who we are, our evolution, our future. Will it be a dystopian or utopian one? Well, that is up to us and nobody else. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Still in Costa Rica. I'm in Costa Rica. <laughs> and who we have on uh, today? Sharks. Uh, speaking of sharks, <laughs> there's that guy. <laughs> exactly. There's that guy. That that shark is on with us today. It's a big uh, shark. I, I know him as DJ Zeus. He yeah. tried to trick me with a different name the other day, Marco. I did. I think so. Somebody did. Or maybe I was trying to trick you. That Maybe shark, you're tricking dude. yourself. I'm tricking myself. It's you're, the, uh, it's the water it. down in Costa Rica. <laughs> We're still going with that? No, I'm in Zihuatanejo today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell what you want. Doing I, some uh, fishing. <laughs> I'm going to believe it. I may have a news for you about fishing and boating. This story's going to end up about Sean talking about some prison time somewhere, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. know. I have no control over that guy. I tried. You cannot be, his power cannot be harnessed for good. It's like, a, I think we, we, I reached the singularity with him. It's, oh, no. over. it's out of control. We're going well, to Matrix, aren't we? Well, you know, you know what is under control, though? The show, at least for now. Then we'll see where it goes. We are back on track with uh, with a guest, and for the people that are looking, watching the live recording, is that guy? Um, actually, I don't know, Sean. Did you invite him, or he just? I forget how he got invited. I don't know if either of us made it happen or he figured I it think out I on did his own it by mistake. You mistakenly <laughs> sent the email to the wrong DJ Zeus. Yeah. The wrong I'm with that story. I don't know why, how I ended <laughs> I thought I was inviting someone else and then it was too late. So I said, okay, whatever. George is on. George, how are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Thank you as always, Sean, Marco. It's great to have uh, Great to be with you guys. We always have fun on these shows, whatever we're talking about, whether it's music, cybersecurity. I'm going to do my standard. I am speaking as an individual, and I do not represent any employer group or anything that I'm affiliated with these opinions. Not even that one named, uh, I'm joking. Not even that one, no, not not even that (laughs) single one, that singularity. (laughs) Well, I'm going to do the same thing. Whatever I'm saying today, I'm not responsible for it. I, I, I don't represent the opinion of my own opinion. (laughs) <laughs> you be responsible for me. I'll be responsible for George. George can be responsible for Marco. That's perfect. Yep. Yep. Well, as you can tell, this is uh, George. It's a completely different approach. I mean, we always have fun, but on the other conversation, we have a goal, we have a topic, we have trying to educate and, and make a point about sometimes we do most of the time business and security. So that, yeah, well, you know, well, at least that's the intention. No, those never go together, business and security. Business, no, never. Well, so we're just wasting our time. Is that what you're saying, Sean? <laughs> that, that, that's it? Okay. But this one here, <laughs> in, in this particular situation, which has been going on now for, for quite a while, um, and uh, it has been the idea about talking of technology, 
bringing some interesting news. And it's something we've done for many, many episodes, over 39, 40-ish. With, yeah. uh, shout, out. shout out to our good friend, Diana Kelly. She's on yeah. the Jimmy Kimmel show instead of this one. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, we, we miss her. You should do it the Mad Damon thing. She'll be back next time. Humble know. beginnings. She's getting the, She's Mad, the Mad Damon on the uh, Jimmy Kimmel show. <laughs> we love you, Diana. We miss you. Yeah, also known as uh, Where is Waldo? So if you've seen Diana, let us know. She's not here. But I have to say, I, I was chatting with her on email, and she said that one of these days, she's going to come back and join us as a guest. So she, even if she's not hosting with us anymore because she got back, get really busy, we will be looking forward to have her back on. And so we that's have other that. Stuff works too. Okay, so. What's that? We have other things in the works as well. Yeah. Outside of the tech line. Of course. It's still a big family. We all work together anyway. All right. So anyway, this is an episode. This is an episode where we we bring a news. This is the tradition about tech that is curious. Sometimes the good news, sometimes it's not a too good news, but something that usually has a different perspective. Because you know, technology and news in general, you can always see it from one side or another or many different um, aspect that's where you, you you sit and where context you put it in so sometimes it's just funny um, sometimes it's just about food usually Sean brings news about food like a robot making pizzas and stuff like that and uh, and and then we invite a guest that uh, has the only homework to do is to bring a news so we'll see what uh, what George has for us today but apart from that, George, what what are you up to? I mean, if people listen to ITSP Magazine, you've been on the show many times, but maybe for those that haven't listened to one of those security-related episodes, little introduction about who you are, and now again, you ended up here, because I want to know. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? That's the standard answer. We're just going with that. I don't know. Some guy named Marco emailed me at some point, and I was just like, okay, this calendar invite doesn't look like a fish, so we're going to go with that. Uh, you like, you fell for it, though. Yeah. Was like, uh, the automatic show. addition to the calendar. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll go to that. Yeah, then. he attached this picture of the powerful and handsome good looks there. It's like, okay, this guy <laughs> looks all right. Uh, thanks, gents, again for having me. Yeah. And, in most of my day life currently right now, I'm working on security and resiliency type work. It's helping organizations understand their business resiliency needs, uh, what their breach uh, readiness posture is. So, you know, this is more of a, there's that cybersecurity flavor to it as well, but also from an all hazards management approach. And, you know, we help clients large and small, um, you know, some of the difficulties that clients face these days are just, I, I think anyone that you talk to right now, it's, there, there are a lot of unknown unknowns. There's just so much going on. And, you know, you were talking about, Marco, the the food. You know, you guys are talking about food. I think we're going to talk about who's going to be making our food in the future right now. And these, these dependencies that exist, it's, uh, you know, there used to be kind of this old rule that you had that 100-mile that radius about, you know, you eat anything from 100 miles right now. Now, where are you getting all your food? So this is, uh, I think we're going to have a fun chat wherever it ends up going. But yeah, that's that's where I focus most of my time these days. It's uh, the resiliency stuff. And yes, DJ Zeus is still alive and well. He's kind of, he's kind of off in a corner and every once in a while pops up and sees what's there. And, you know, drop, he's that drop goodness on the, on, the, uh, on the wire. Yeah. So he's that shark that fires lightning bolts. Tell tell us tell us a moment about this character. This character called yeah, DJ, this, Zeus. DJ Zeus. Yeah. So DJ Zeus probably we're going back to the early nineties. Full confession for those who don't know. Um, yeah, I grew up listening to classic rock. I was a Stones, The Who, and uh, yes, ACDC. Since you're doing all that too, uh, I I believe I cried when I was uh, about four years old that I couldn't go to see a Deep Purple concert because I was apparently too young. So, um, and I believe it was April 1st too. I even remember the date. Um, now, uh, somewhere in the early 90s, uh, my best friend at the time, my best friend, he's, you know, he's 
got me into a new type of music, which was like dance music. And then I started to see that it had a lot of its roots in disco and in Motown, you know, everything gets sampled. I'm like, cool, I can, I can sort of do this. And uh, I played a lot of instruments at the time. And then I decided to start playing a stereo. I think even when I was a kid, I used to do the DJ, you know, and then, you know, dude. And uh, with the good old, do you guys remember the old Zenith boom boxes? Had one of those, uh, an old Zenith boom box. I would record off uh Toronto Station Q107, and I would mimic that. And yeah, all of a sudden, I, I remember the first time I started DJing was like with two little disc men, and it was uh, the RCA to three, uh, three and a half millimeter adapter. So they're plugged in somewhere. It's just like headphone in one, headphone in another, you know, no beat mixing or anything. I'm like, I can do this. This is sort of cool. And that's how it all began. And then all of a sudden I started doing stuff on the radio or was broadcast through the area, uh, big clubs, love vinyl, was a late adopter to some of the technology. Now I love the, some of the technology, hate other parts of it. So that is who that character is. And he was DJing a lot in the late nineties and uh, through to the early to mid two thousands. I love that character, and we—that character, not you, but that character—was on um, on an episode of Audio Signals that we did with uh, Scott Shefferman, and we were talking right about that—the role of music in society and how society affects music, and in particular, dance and electronic music. So, if you haven't catched that up, you should go check it out on on Audio Signal. We'll probably put a link on this on this note. So, I'm always open to talk about music you know that and then when you mention vinyl i don't know if you can see in the back but there is a dynasty kiss album oh, there, it is. there it is right there because i am definitely back into collecting vinyls now and that's pretty much all i think about when i'm not <laughs> when i'm not working so and i'm a big fan of of course 80s rock and uh, 70s so i'm i'm looking yeah. for that kind of stuff too so when you said deep purple i'm like yeah how old you said you were? Sorry, that you cried not to go. Four? Uh, yeah. Four years old, you were banging with Young Yellen and and uh, the first song I learned how to sing, apparently, so I've been told, was uh, Who Are You by the Who? And the second song was Highway to Hell. So you could just imagine uh, Oh, nice, nice. Maybe uh, maybe one day you'll sing it for us. Absolutely not. I can. I can. <laughs> so I will tell you, just because you have the turntable there and you are talking about technology. So obviously, like Tech 12s, uh, you know, I don't want to use anything else. Like, this is not a shot against any of the other brands. I, I like the brands. I won't call them out. But, you know, the Tech 12 is the Tech 12. There's a reason it's been around for like 40 plus years. Now, it took me a while to actually find the head shell and the cartridge that I absolutely loved because uh, I will disclose that. I don't know if they still make them. So I was a big fan of Stanton's and the cartridge was an 890SA and it was really hard. Like they were expensive back then, right? And you would buy them to the sets. They had the nice little kits there. Um, I loved them because they had a lot of weight at the front. So I wasn't a big scratch guy at all. But uh, when you're changing a lot of records real fast, that like front weight was real important. You could actually have a little screw in some uh, where you could put like a weight on there. I think it was a gram or five grams. If you see some of the older DJs, like the real scratchologists from uh, the 80s, they would actually drop a nickel or a dime on there because they needed that weight on there. Otherwise, the, the needle was uh, skipping around. There are some other really great cartridges that I like, but there's uh, the thing about the 890SA, apart from the weight, it's just the gain on it was so high and so good because depending on the club that you played at, you need to really crank the gain out of the mixer. And I did not think we were going to be talking about any of this on this episode right oh, now. But but listen, like, we're full of surprises. You know, full you know. Of surprises, <laughs> so yeah. Don't ever get anything for granted with us. If I could Drop get nickels on needles. Box, yeah. If I can get like a box of like eight silver 890 SAs and just like keep them as mementos, it's just, uh, yeah, they, they were great. And then, you know, getting the needle, I wore out a few of those needles. Nice. Where do you find those uh, online? Do you I have no I, I haven't looked for them uh, because I, I haven't been playing vinyl for, for such a long time. It's been uh, the 
first of all, the, the audio quality of MP3s and waves is much better than it used to be. Like you can get like the full dynamic range right now. I'm sure you guys even remember like the first early CDs, like they were kind of tinny, they were missing a few things. That's actually one of the reasons why I preferred vinyl early on was because you had in, in the club, you felt that they had that more dynamic range. It was like you, you got the nice highs, but you really felt like that nice, those lows around like around the 75 hertz that just gave you a punch. And uh, you, you couldn't really get that on some of the CDs. Um, but now you get the sound quality there, the pretty darn good sound quality. And truthfully, if you leverage the technology that's there, like I'm a big Ableton fan, that's probably where I spent most of my time on right now. And you can plug in some VSTs. Um, you can do a lot of stuff that you just really can't do um, if you're, you're using vinyl or even if you're using a uh, uh, something like a Serato-based system, uh, what is it called, time delineated or something, it's a time-coded thing. Um, even with CDs, it's just, you know, you can do a lot, but the, man, some of the technology is pretty wild. Uh, you just, uh, you almost feel like you're playing a video game right now as opposed to just... It's, it's a, I, I got to say, and, and then we can move, uh, uh, although we're already talking technology, but I have to say that, yeah, I, I don't expect the super high fidelity from the, the vinyl, but what I'm really enjoying is it's kind of like a warmer sound. I know I'm not catching yeah. everything. I mean, if you listen to with a good headset like a Sennheiser or something and you're going on the looseness of, of a, a digital yeah you get everything I mean honestly that, but that I don't know even that little scratch on the, with the dust on the on the vinyl it just it brings me back a few years let's, sure. let's, put, it, let's put it this way so I really enjoy that uh, we should Sean we should have an entire weekly meeting and talk about music I <laughs> I would love to do that. So something to consider. Something to think think about. Hey, so I'm going to give you guys an idea for one of your chats. Listen to some of the older Motown and disco productions. One thing I love about those is, and it's because you're getting that warmth from that analog sound, like even that little bit of distortion, like... One song that I've been listening to a lot recently is uh, Gloria Gaynor, uh, Never Say Goodbye. Like you can almost hear that like little bit of distortion that's coming through, but it just gives it such a warmth and such a nice pop that I think a clean sound kind of ruined it. May ruin the song right? to do that. Sometimes it's too, it's just too clean. It, it, yeah. it, when you go to the concert, you certainly don't get the clean sound. And if you like yeah. that feeling of the concert music, you know, I think you're closer to a vinyl than than digital. Well, you're closer to like uh, an AM radio sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah like you, you sort of is it is it that they that the 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 processing kind of cuts things and boxes things and that's probably either intentionally or accidentally or. You're probably gating some of it, that's for sure. You're probably using your crossovers and cutting it because, like, again, those super low lows, you need a lot of power to do that. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, after a certain range, it just doesn't make any sense to use it. Like, if you're going and like single digits, you're probably never going to use that. You're only going to feel that. You're not going to hear that. So it takes a lot of energy. But And also those really, really high highs, like they can be piercing and they don't travel as far either. So if you're cutting more into that mid-range, you know, you can get that distance to travel. But it's it's easier to mix, let's be honest. It's if you if you just got like a mid-range. Um, and there was a, what was a rule that I learned? It was, a, it's like the inversion. It's like if you wanted more, Base again, and this is to conserve the power. You don't add more base because then you're going to push up the gain. You're going to get the distortion. You actually cut your highs instead. You're giving yourself that headroom uh, in case you need it later. And then again, it's like, do you want that compressed sound? Like, I like compressors. Some people can't. They hate compressors, right? And I'm going to say it depends on the music. I like that, like giving it that pump right into your face sound. You can give an equalizer to ten different people, and they're probably all gonna set it different. You know, yeah, they're gonna do a B shape, or they're gonna different. do like, you know, a different turn. 
Well, okay, let's not make this all about musical, though. I'm very tempted. So, Sean, right, me too. Uh, let's I'm thinking about the, uh, kind of the audio device that I, the interface that I have that has the 24-bit float, so you'd actually don't lose all the, all the crap that you would on a normal interface. Now, granted, you have to mess with it to, to yeah. keep what you want and get rid of what you don't want, but at least it's there. <laughs> hey, that, that, you know what? If you don't mess with it, you're not going to find the cool stuff. Some of the coolest yeah. sounds have been found by mistake and experimentation. Yep. yep, that's true. Love it. And that experimentation, that's a good word. And I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of things are purpose built, um, but some of them hap happen by accident. Uh, and I'm curious what the news you brought. Is this something that's exploratory in nature or is it uh, somebody yeah. on a mission to, to do something specific or what's going on? So this was more of a headline read as opposed to a, deep dive read into it and you know the headline was enough to kind of worry me it was uh, artificial intelligence and how we would be using it for uh growing our food uh i think that's something that's been in the news a lot lately about food supply supply chains and it almost feels to me i'm very worried about it being transparent here about it it's um are we ready to make that sort of a leap to trust a technology that I don't think is can be fully trusted yet? I think there's a lot about AI we don't know about yet. Do you really want to mess, use that to mess with food supplies? Uh, because you mess with food supplies, you're messing with something pretty darn fundamental. So are you referring, just to clarify, to the food supply meaning after is harvested or actually the way we I think through the entire life cycle. So like if we let's spitball here for a second. So if we allow AI to decide, hey, we want to do these sort of crops over this sort of time period and then we want to harvest them like this and it's based mm -hmm. on these weather patterns and then you almost become a slave to the algorithm. And if you fall outside of the band of the algorithm, like say there's one massive weather event, like will it really screw up harvest for an entire year? You know, you, you miss harvest for a year. This actually goes back greatly into how we started. It's like, where's the resilience in that? Like, you know, we've been around for, depending on what you believe in, few hundred thousand years, you know, a couple of like, like that cultivation of food, like, you know, the back in Mesopotamia and like being able to do that and having these resilient stocks. Whoever's listening, don't quote me on this one because I, I could be misquoting this. I, I'm, I'm putting this out there. But I believe at, I think it was with potatoes, there was just an over, uh, cropping of a certain type of potato and an overgrowing and all the other crops you know they just said oh we don't need them you know we got good this potato this potato this potato and then once that potato had a bad harvest it was lost it's like all your other food sources that you normally relied on your weeds your corns and all that fun stuff um they weren't there available so now all of a sudden you have an extreme shortage so, like, will the AI be looking for what is most resilient? Will it be looking for what's uh, what's most efficient? Um, and who's behind the AI that's making that decision? Because uh, one thing that I learned about, I changed my views on this. I always said, uh, you know, the algorithms are biased. The algorithms are biased. Um, and I changed my view. I, I stand corrected. The algorithms are not biased. The algorithms are doing what they are intending, what they have been intended to do. The bias comes from the people that are writing the algorithms. And the bias comes from the data that is coming in. It's garbage in, garbage out. So, but here's kind of the little trick of AI. We believe, oh, well, because it's AI, you know, it could be supervised or unsupervised. It's like, depending, it's like, it's okay. It's the technology that's doing it. So, well, no. We don't know if it's okay. Why are we putting blind faith into it right now? Because the underlying sources could be tainted. There could be bad data quality. And again, do we, the person who designed the algorithm, 
Did they have intents? You know, what what's driving them? I'm, I'm going to pause you here because, I mean, it, it's easy to think of the grand everything under one umbrella. And if, if there's one singular AI controlling all of our food sources, I, I can see a huge challenge there. Right. Perhaps perhaps we even become even more smarter and, and it's a positive out, outcome, mm-hmm. um, but it could very well easily be a negative one. We, we've had many conversations where. So take away the singular single system controlling everything to some of the conversations we had where we do we're talking about lo- everybody grows their own thing or. Uh, different buildings have little farms on their rooftops and kind of, so you're sourcing the food from your, from close to you, mm-hmm. eliminating a lot of the distribution and, and, uh, and uh, fuel costs and all the other stuff that comes with kind of moving things around. So kind of to your earlier point, I don't know if you said this on, on the, on the recording before we started, but you, you, more along the lines of you're eating stuff close to you, stuff mm-hmm. that was grown close to you. Now, granted, those may be supported by AI, right? So you may have, you may, you may source uh, seeds and other materials from one company and they have an app and they, they feed it some AI and, and that could help. But your neighbor might be using a different, different set right. of applications and, and algorithms and different, growing different foods and maybe you exchange. And so I think for me, it's how we, yes, there, if we're defining this stuff with a goal that isn't about just feeding people and it's about making money and, and extracting the most value out of that process, we might end up off the rails. If we do it in a single overarching and don't distribute the risk and therefore the, the reward, um, we can end up with some challenge. But I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And if we can apply these technologies in different ways, not just to succeed or fail on or off ones or zeros um, at a grand scale. I think I think there's opportunity here to do some cool stuff. Well, John, I, I think yeah, there's one word that you nailed in there that I loved. It's it's distributed, right? That me and, and I'm gonna say that's very close to decentralization, right there, because you don't develop that reliance on that single source. You know, you don't have that single point of failure anymore. You don't have that single vulnerability. You know, used in in that application, you know, it could be useful, like, you know, energy consumption rates, water consumption rates, fertilizers, you know, you could probably find, is that really AI though? I don't know. That's my honest answer. Um, and the the trade-off it's not a challenge it didn't i i it's a straight-up trade-off if you give up that larger global supply chain of like you know we can eat foods that are uh you know the the raw materials grown in country x they're processed in country b and then they're sold in country c you know that that's a pretty standard food supply chain right now it's not unusual that gives you a whole wide variety. Uh, the trade-off is if you're willing to give up some of the, that variety for something a little bit closer to home, um, you know, you can't cut down on your fuel costs. You do have something fresher. You may have more control over what's going into your food supply chain. Like, do you know what you eat? That's a question that, that I ask a lot of people. Like, are you actually looking at the ingredients? Do you know where it's from? Are you eating something that's been genetically modified? Are you eating something that's uh, one of the things that I love when you know, family going back to Greece? It's like, you know, you can just walk. The tomato may look ugly, but it tastes amazing. You know, it hasn't been altered by or processed by anything. So that's the flip side. You go to the grocery store, everything looks nice, but sometimes it may be a little bit bland and taste. It's like water. Yeah. It's like you, water. You know the other thing I'm in because again, I don't I don't I don't see uh, hopefully we have competition as well. Right. So we very help, we help keep each other honest and and drive drive things forward to a positive outcome. Um because I'm looking at like weather weather patterns right and if there's a hurricane in the southeast of the u.s 
they don't look just look at the U.S. model, right? They look at the European model, and I don't know. There, there's probably a third one, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is that three sets of data, I, I presume there's AI in there somewhere looking at these models, figuring out where did it originate, what's the path, what's the speed, the, the uh, how wide is it going to be, what trajectory, all that stuff is defined or determined by algorithms at some level. And it's multiple multiple models being pulled together and and we're making decisions based on multiple data sets multiple outcomes of that data mm -hmm. set. and i think i think again if we if we're not relying on a single point of failure but looking at the data from multiple sources through multiple lenses and and multiple rules um i think we i think that's you're spreading risk you know what yeah. if, if you can spread your risk and you can you know you get yourself some backup and all that it's just don't be a slave to any one thing, any one technology, any one data set, or any one single source of truth. So let, let's put it from a philosophical perspective. And Back to the food? I love that it's food. No, I can stay with the food because... Because <laughs> he's hungry. No, because at, at a certain point, there has been a period of time that we just fuck it up like a lot of things, and now we're paddling back. We always think like, oh, food, how good it used to be when it was all natural and organic, and then we industrialize it, change stuff, GMO, I mean, I can go forever. And now we're realizing, oops, can we go back, maybe? So I'm just saying, when we talk about artificial intelligence, too many times I feel like we just put it in, it's gonna become a general artificial intelligence, it's gonna control everything. If we ask them to do paperclip, we're all going to die because it's just going to maximize the paperclip. That's, you know, the, the, the example that we hear most of the time when it's very focused on the result. So what are we asking to artificial intelligence? Like in the context of food, if artificial intelligence, as Sean was saying, is helping me to analyze the data, get a better result, weather pattern, ground, chemical, and all of that. And maybe the goal is to make better food and go back to do that. Then let's do it. But let's use this as a tool, not that all of a sudden everything is robotic, is controlled by algorithm, artificial intelligence, and we're just there seeing what they put on our table. I mean, what's the role that we have in it and what do we use artificial intelligence for? So, uh, Mark, Mark, you said something amazing there. It's, it's the yeah, two. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Every, every, <laughs> once, every once in a while, you get one or two. <laughs> I think you used your quota for like this quarter. Um, I know. I'm done. The, this is for technology in general. So, I'm, I'm not specifying it just to AI. Just, I'm, I'm talking even your little old Casio calculator. If technology is used as a tool to inform our actions and our decisions, it's very powerful and it's useful. And historically, I believe that exists. It's when we turn to the technology to become a crutch, to replace our own instincts, our own capabilities, that's when we start going down a very, very dark path where we get sloppy, we get lazy, we start like, how many people one of the most hilarious things i ever saw in my life um i think most people still probably leave like 15 percent tip on uh if they go out you know uh for for a restaurant or something 15 percent is probably an industry standard so um it just it would always shock me the amount of people recently and when i say recently say last 15 years people will pull out their phones to pull up and do the calculation for 15%. <laughs> and I'm just like, I go, why you, why can't you do 15% in your head? 15% is a pretty easy number. And I've actually showed this to people and they're like, well, how do you do 15%? I go, well, here, here's like the most foolproof way. Go take the bill and put your thumb over the last number. That gives you 10%. Divide that by two. You got to be able to divide by two. If you can't divide by two, you shouldn't be eating out. <laughs> it shouldn't be out. Yeah. You divide by two. So you take the number that you see there with your thumb 
and you add in that extra half point. That's about the most simple math that you can do right now, short of two plus two equals four. Uh, but if people are busting out their phones to do 15%, that's kind of worrying to me. That is, you are no longer using this as a tool. You're using it as a crutch because you've become intellectually lazy. Wow. I love that. Never thought of it that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to leave my phone behind and see if I can do it next time. <laughs> First of all, I don't even remember the last time I ate out, but that's a different story because, you know, you still tip the delivery yeah. <laughs> of the food. Sorry. Although Uber tells you what the 50%. There, there you go. It, it, right? like the suggested, do you want to leave 10%, 15%, or do you want to leave your own? It's all being done for you, and I, I'm afraid yeah. it's making us stupider. Yep. Yeah, I, I I particularly appreciate the ones that don't offer ten percent. They they start at fifteen and go up to forty five percent. Yeah, and I'm like, all I, I walked up to a county, you handed me a coffee. Why am I giving you fifteen <laughs> percent? Oh yeah, if they turn that <laughs> little the little yeah. display, that little iPad on you, you're screwed. Better paying cash. <laughs> Because literally, you just hand me a coffee. So, you know, are we not even processing that anymore? Like, <laughs> isn't the tip super? Plus, I'm Italian. When I moved in the U.S., I was like, am I tipping what? Like, they, <laughs> okay. they a... you had the cover charge whenever you go in. If you go into someone, you, you sit down for your, for your basket of bread and your water. You already paid your cover charge. Yeah, but at least it's there, right? I mean, it's not a out on top of it it's like when you when you buy something in a store and then you go at the cashier and it's like oh there is taxes what do you mean just put it on the damn price tag i mean i had to get used to it and now it still sounds a little weird because the tip for me is like oh you did an excellent job you went way above and beyond and by the way you got paid already your salary so what my tip is like really an extra to appreciate that you went the extra mile mm -hmm. But at this point, it's not even about doing a good job. It's just like it's part of the price. But anyway, and, and now it, it's part of you not know, using your brain or even to judge what is being given to you. So a robot could have done it. Am I going to tip a let's, robot? Let's talk about that because I'm, I'm actually we're in the process of lining up an agritech uh, conversation with uh, ro ro robot. Yeah, I did set that up this morning. More people. So ro robotic, robotic farming. And uh, I mean, it's going to cost money. It's going to cost money to build that robot or robots and have it do whatever it's going to do. I don't even know yet. We're going to find out. That's got to be value. See, that's, that's what I'm going to ask. Where's the value? Yeah, that's that's probably the first question. Well, what's the goal? <laughs> this robot. <laughs> Are we here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, yes, but so there's an expense there. And we can get really philosophical. Does a robot expect a tip or not? Right for the work it does, or does it does it expect a salary? <laughs> if you give me give me oil and grease. I don't know. Well, but, once you uh, give it AI and it can, once you give it AI and it can think for itself, yeah. what do you do there? That's that's a more philosophical question. Yeah. For you. Yeah. But the bottom line, I mean, what what's the value? Who's gonna who's gonna absorb the cost to extract that value? Uh, ultimately, the consumer, right? It's gonna, yeah. gonna eat, or someone in the middle <laughs> before yeah. it hits the consumer is gonna eat the cost of that. Um, like if you so. can, here we're talking on value. If if you can cheaply produce something that, say for example, has low energy consumption, and you can make your food indoors at home, you know, in hydroponic gardens, you you can do this right now. If you have, if if that's cost effective. I think you'll see a shift and there's value for that. You know, maybe once upon a time there wasn't value for that because, you know, the, the LED lights, they weren't that efficient. So they were sucking up a lot of energy and it made your electrical bill go up. So that like, where's the value? I think you always got to ask that question. You know, where's the need? Are you developing a need? One thing that, you know, I, I've had this conversation a few times. Let's imagine for those of us, which is probably most, if not all of us, what was life like 100 years ago? This wealth that we see today was generated 
it didn't exist a hundred years ago. And I think that, again, this is going to, going to go to the philosophical. You create that need. You create that value. It's not a piece of pie that you keep on cutting up because that pie eventually withers away and people start fighting over it and it's gone. So you need to grow the pie. And if you can find a way to grow the pie, and you know what, over the last 100 or so years, 200 or so years, we've been able to grow that pie a lot. I think that's the, the course that we need to maintain. I like I like to use the pie analogy. I'm just saying. Because you're thinking of pizza pies? <laughs> pizza pies. Mm -hmm. You know, pie, when, pie, when you go back to that, I mean, the pie example, I, I used it one time. I don't remember. I was writing something. But it was like looking back, at, you know, grandparents you know, living in the countryside and your slice of the world, and Sean, I'm referring to a pie again, so you can start salivating. So you have it, you live in this slice, and you don't know that you're just a little slice part of a big cake that sits on a big table, that sits in a kitchen, that sits in a house, that sits in a country, on this planet, in the Milky Way, and I can keep going. But you're happy in that little world, because that's, that's your world. So... In a way, it's minimalist, it's simplistic, it's going back. And, and that, it really made me think about this when you say we're creating all this need, all this globalization, all this. Was it really necessary? Is it part of our growth as human? Do we, do we need to do this? I mean, I'd, I'd like to invite a couple of philosophers friends here to discuss this thing <laughs> and how much technology is affecting this. I and mean, think about that, too. So let's let's bring technology back in. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we created boats and carriage and the wheel and everything that allow us to to explore. So maybe it is in our gene to do this and technology yeah, is allowing yeah. us, right? Or maybe it's just technology falling our lap and we just, hey, all right, I'll go for a ride. There's a wheel. Well, here, let, let, let me throw something out there to you guys. I'm going to be the questioner for a second. Take even something like art. Like art was, it was commissioned. It took time to create, you know, whether it was symphonies, whether it was, you know, the Sistine Chapel, it's a, it took time, and the idea was that it was going to stay there and to be conserved and be preserved over time, right? And it was going to build and build and build on something. So you take what the previous generation did, and you made it better. You built on top of it. Uh, now, and I don't know when it started. You know, this requires a little bit of history thought on it, but... We moved away from that longer term goal of building and supporting and conserving the best of what we had to a very rapid consume now, move on, next, disposable. And maybe that's part of the human nature that I don't have a good answer to that, but maybe that's part of the human nature that, like, you know, if people are feeling unfulfilled right now it's just like you don't have that thing that passes on from generation to generation i was i i think generational wealth and i think generational uh whether it's at a personal level or a society level should be passed on to the next generations build on it take on what take what's the best and conserve what you have there like don't, don't be just because we got more information right now i guess i'm not going to call out their name, but I had, this is a professor that was just, wait, they said, oh, we are so smart today because we have the most information ever. I go, no, having the most information does not make you smarter. In fact, I will theorize to you that it's made you stupider because you- Well, you, your, your example of the phone is, is, is yeah. perfect for that. And I know we're, we're coming up on a time where you yeah. have to wrap and I, I i want to quickly bring in my news we're not going to discuss it in depth of course in five minutes but but it, i think it helps to illustrate your point here um at least if i can if i can apply it this way where i think we've created a world of technology 
that the next generations can consume and utilize. I think where we need to continue to invest is in this knowledge of how, how it works, how to manipulate it in the way that we need to uh, extract from it what we really want as a society. And, and my news is about crowdsourcing power, generation, transportation, storage for use in space. And NASA is calling on crowdsourcing. They call them garage uh, engineers. That's why I have the, the funny garage uh, name there. Oh, but nice. basically people using technology in their brains, right? So mm -hmm. the technology and their brains to find new ways to create, store, transfer, transport energy so we can use that for be things better on Earth and also for space travel and exploration and all the other stuff. So I think, to your point, the wealth isn't, for me, just money. It's, it's the life we live and the, the, the advancements we've made and, and valuing, valuing those and understanding how they work so we can continue to improve and, and create a bigger pie. That's my yeah, that, that's, that's a perfect... So imagine whoever created the wheel just kept for the wheel and did for, for their generation for the, and did not pass on the wheel to the next generation. Yeah, they they what, passed on the square. They passed on the square. <laughs> and it's like you keep on reinventing the square into the circle. You keep on it's yeah, no, that's it's it's a wild conversation. Like you mentioned about Sean, you know, NASA saying, you know, creative new ways. You need to have that liberty and freedom to think outside of the box. I I forget who said it. Um, may have been Eric Schmidt. Um, but innovation does not come from within the establishment. Now, caveat to that, that doesn't mean throw out everything else that's working. You know, make that better. Seek incremental improvements because those incremental improvements, okay, I'm going to close with this story. Uh, and I have to anonymize it a little bit. Um, particular industry uh, that was in engineering and it had to do with heat. Got to anonymize it like that. And the person who was running this said, hey, George, our industry is, there are not many like quantum leaps in terms of innovations. You know, they've been incremental. Every once in a while, maybe like every decade or every two decades, you know, some new technology really comes out that like really changes the industry. But otherwise, during that time, it's finding the efficiencies. And this is actually how you become better. It's taking your existing processes and saying, hey, how do I make this better? They found this group that they were losing a lot of time as they were transporting this big piece of metal from one part of the plant to the other part of the plant. It needed to go over a conveyor belt. And it required a lot of energy to move it. And no one in the industry really had another way to do about this. It's like you needed to move it. It's a physical thing. You know, Mr. Scotty did not exist yet. And it would go across a conveyor belt. Somebody had the idea of, it's like, okay, it requires a lot of energy to move because it's heavy and we can't change the weight of it. But how do we, is there a way to make it easier to move across the path? And they came up with the idea of, hey, instead of putting all these motors to make it go faster than it's consuming, what if we just push, push the metal up a little bit from the conveyor belt using compressed air. So you're basically blasting air, air free. So you compress the air and it pushes it up. Well, you know what? They did that and it effectively made it the load lighter on the conveyor belt. So just that pushing it up a little bit, and we're talking millimeters right here, they were able to slide it across the conveyor belt so much faster than everybody else. You know, like how, how is this company doing it so much better? It's because they found that little small innovation. You need that freedom. You need that liberty to think outside of the box to do that. So that, that was my soapbox. Great, great example. I, I was hoping you'd bring some experiences of the, the I'm, I'm sure you see a ton, a ton of cool things. <laughs> yeah. that, now they're all, they're all trying to figure out, well, how do we see this cool thing? come to fruition with yeah. the, as least the least friction possible with the least risk possible and all the other stuff you have to think about in your uh, daily pr professional life. But 
Uh, I'm glad you brought that story because that's a perfect example of creating that little tweak to overcome a problem that would prevent something from from succeeding or uh, being scalable, right? Yeah, it's that little tiny thing that normally it was outside of conventional thinking that completely changed the ability of this organization on how fast they were. And that gave them the competitive advantage then. And what and what drove that was, you know, like a, a need. So necessity and need. Yeah. yeah. And and sometimes uh, we, we have many of this conversation about what drives the the innovation. And it, I agree that it's like art. I mean, honestly, we unpack so much stuff in this <laughs> 15 minutes that I don't I want to close because I know you have to go, but I mm-hmm. don't even know where to start. So I think I'm just going to drop it here. But uh, even the art. people going, what the hell did they just Yeah, even the art example. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about the, the, the artisanal art where the artists will train. You know, I'm talking to Michelangelo and the, and, and, and the Verrocchio and the painter that teach them pass through generation, all of that. I mean, at the time, they were maybe making it more for the glory than, than the money. You know, yeah. and so what drives what, and what are we asking to glory and money? Always is the glory. yeah, but the, the <laughs> question the question is right there. You know, where where does it start and where does it end? If, if you're just doing it for the money, you're doing it for the world, and that's the end. And I'm gonna stick, <laughs> and I'm gonna stick with that. All right, well, let's leave there. it there. I'm gonna I'm gonna thank DJ Zeus, uh, otherwise known as George, sometimes. Uh, Great conversation, my friend. Great job out on the show. Thanks, Thanks everybody, for listening to Through the Tech Find here on ITSP Magazine. Uh, same time, same day, same channel next week. Peace out. Be well. Be rocking it. Bye-bye. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Through the Tech Vine podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.